All right, good morning, familia. How's everyone doing this morning? Welcome all to Wheaton Bible Church. Welcome those of you visiting for the first time. Welcome those of you sitting in the East Worship right now. Uh, welcome every single one of you today. And what a blessing it is for us to get to worship together as one body um, under the love and care of one father, uh, under the love and care of one brother, and united by one spirit. Amen? And today we continue in our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And for the last few weeks, we have been talking about the last days, the second coming of Jesus, Judgment Day, and a little bit about heaven. And if you want to know what uh, the, the proper term is used when it talks in theology about that, it's eschatology. Now, you don't need to remember that term because that, that, that term doesn't add to your salvation. So it doesn't matter if you remember or not. But I think it's important for you to know the term just in case... You hear that term somewhere, somehow, at any time. All of, that ha- all of that stuff that has to do with the second coming of Jesus and the last days, is, is all, the term will be eschatology. Now, there's a reason why Jesus has been talking about eschatology from chapter 24 all the way to chapter 25. And I don't think that the reason is simply because he wants to talk about eschatology. The, the reason why Jesus is so emphatic about the last days, judgment day, heaven, and all of that, is because he wants us to be affected by that reality. In other words, Jesus talks about that because he wants us to live different in light of that reality. Now, the parable we just read is known as the parable of the bags of gold. And if you read in another translation like the ESV, the title of that parable is the parable of the talents, which I actually think that is a better translation for that, uh, for that parable. But there we see this thing, and this is the principle we're going to talk about today, is that if the judgment day is a reality, and it is, that the second, uh, the, the last days of Jesus is a reality, and it is, that Jesus will return, and we're all going to have to confront him, he was going to confront us face to face, and that's a reality, then one of the things that we should do is learn to put our, ta- our talents to work. So if Jesus is returning, and he is, then one of the things that we do as Christians is we get to work. Amen? So today we're going to talk about that under three uh, headings. We're going to talk about the gifts, the hearts, and the giver. The gifts, the heart, and the giver. So I need you to do me a favor. Look at the person next to you, and you've got to say this, if you can. Um, everything you have has a reason and a purpose. Go ahead. All right, let's come back. Point number one, the gifts. So Jesus talks about eschatology. And it's interesting because I think that Jesus knows that one of the first reactions for people to hear this thing about Jesus coming and what he's going to do and all of that stuff is to adopt or embrace an attitude of passivity. Meaning, especially among Christians, which is super interesting, meaning that Jesus knows that when people hear about the last days and that he's going to come and make all things new, for some people, the attitude, it will be something like, well, if Jesus is coming, if he's going to come soon, why worry? If Jesus is going to return and do the things that he's going to do, why do anything? Might as well just chill, sit back, and relax, which is super interesting because that's a very fatalistic view of Christianity. And it's actually a very fatalistic view 
of life. And what we're going to see in this text, in this parable, is that Jesus does not expect us to live like that. Actually, what we're going to see in the text is that what Jesus expects, if we know that he's coming back, is that we put our gifts to work, our talents to work. And I think that the biblical reason is actually really simple. Because if Jesus is making all things new, as Revelation says, and Jesus is going to come back to restore all things, the most natural reaction, the most natural attitude for anybody that believes that and loves the Lord is to want to contribute to what the Lord is already doing. The most natural reaction for anybody that has placed their faith in Jesus Christ and they know that he's going to return and they know that he's going to make all things new, the most natural reaction is to say, I want to contribute to what the Lord is already doing. Therefore, the attitude of the believer is not passivity. It's activity. It's to get to work. And with that in mind then, let's get into the text. And look how the text starts in verse 14. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now, the word wealth in the text, the NIV has chosen to use the word wealth, and people may assume that that has to do with money or only about money. But there's a reason why other translations use other words to talk about that word in the original. So they use words as goods or properties or possessions or talents or abilities or gifts or money. And I think that I think part of the reason why different translations use different terms is because that word in the original means all of that. Jesus is not just talking about money. Jesus is talking about, in a general sense, about all of our talents and all of our gifts and everything that we have received from him. So look at what the text says. That this man, this master, which in the story will be Jesus, was going on a journey, and he called his servants and gave them talents. That will be the word that I'm going to use for the rest of the sermon. And notice that the text says that he entrusted his servants with his talents. Now, if you don't like practical sermons, you're going to struggle with this one. Because this sermon is extremely practical. So from this point on, I'm going to give you five principles about the way we're supposed to look at our talents. Principle number one. Jesus says that everything we have is his. Amen? And that everything comes from him. Amen? And that whatever we have is because he's entrusting us with With that, that is his. That everything we have, church, is because he has entrusted us with that that is his. And if that is true, church, and it is, no reason why anybody should boast about anything. Because we all know, according to the scripture, that everything comes from him. 
You know, I know that's hard to understand for a lot of the modern people because usually the tendency is to think that everything we have and actually everything we are is because we work for it. You know, we're part of a culture that says you could do anything you want if you put your mind in it. We are part of this culture that believes that everything we have and everything we are is because we made it work. I want to challenge that thought for a second, though. I want to make the argument that even if you work hard for the things you have, that even if you work hard for the talents you have developed, I want to make the argument that the only reason why you have that is because not only God gave you the talent, and not only he gave you the ability, but he also gave you the context to be able to, you, to, be able to uh, for you to grow in that area. See, let's say that you're the best singer in the world. But if you were born in a little community, up in the mountains, where there was only three people, don't matter how amazing a singer you are, you are not successful if you are in the wrong place. So my argument is super simple. So even if we believe that everything we are and have is because we work hard, not only we are ignoring that it is the Lord, the one that gives you the talent or the ability, but it is also the Lord that gave you the context for you to be able to use that talent or ability. Does that make sense? So at the end of the day, as Christians, we all should believe that our talents are God's talents, and he is entrusting us with those talents. Not ours, his. Now the parable continues, and then look at verse 15. It says that the master gave to one man five bags of gold and another two bags of gold um, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Can you say ability? Then he went on his journey. Principle number two. The parable says that everything you have not only God gave you that talent, but also the ability to use that talent. Not only he gave you a gift, but that means that you have no excuse for not using that gift. Because he gives each not only the ability, not only the talent, but the ability to use it. Now, notice that the text doesn't say that we all have the same gifts or talents or abilities. Actually, notice that the text says that not everyone has, even if we have the same talent, we don't have the same quality or quantity of it. So as believers, we could never, ever, ever say, I don't have a gift. And at the same time, we could never, ever, ever, ever say, I don't know how to use it. Isn't that crazy? Not only you got to acknowledge that the Lord already gave you talents, but also the ability to use those talents. No excuse why not to use them. Now, from this point on, the parable is going to start to make a difference between the first two men in the story and the last men in the story. Look with me at verse 16 and 17. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, put his talents to work, and he gave five more bags. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. 
Principle number three. You must put your talents to work. And the more you work them, the more the Lord will increase them. You must put your talents to work. And the more you work them, the more the Lord will increase them. I think it's important that we understand as believers that our talents and abilities and the things we have are not decorations, you know. It's like me giving you a list of all the things that I know I could do well and never use them. I think that as believers, we have to acknowledge that the only reason why the Lord gives us talents is for us to use them. And the more we use them, the more the Lord will give you to do. I actually think that this is part of my story. So if you're, part of the, if you're new to the church, you probably never heard this. If you have been part of the church for a while, you may remember this. But I do this exercise all the time. I go back and I start thinking and remembering why is it that I got to this point where I am today. And actually, I was thinking about this because someone recently asked me, how did I prepare for the role I have in the church today? You know what's crazy? I didn't. I did not prepare for this role. The Lord did. So let me, let me, let me share it to you really quick. Um, I think that what made the difference in my life is, is that he gave me the ability to, to use what he had given me uh, in, in whatever context he gave me. So my first year of college, I was studying um, to get a bachelor's in Spanish literature. Now, let me make a disclaimer. This is B.C., before Christ. You must remember that. So I'm studying to get a, a bachelor's in Spanish literature, not because I love literature, but because it was the easiest thing to do. Before Christ. So Latino, Spanish, easy enough. What I did not know is that during that time, the Lord will save me. What I did not know is that the Lord during that time would develop in me this joy for learning and reading, which, by the way, I never had before. I, I, before the Lord, I can say that maybe before my conversion, I read like maybe two books in my life. And I'm sure it was because I had to. Well, during that time, because I became a Christian, I joined this little church, and the church needed a fourth grade teacher. Four students, fourth grade. And I never done that before, but the opportunity was there. So I started to serve in that room. And what I did not know is that the Lord would use that to develop in me a joy for teaching. Now, Time goes on, I got married. Heidi was pursuing me for like ages, man. <laughs> I finally say yes, but now I need more income. So during that time, the city of Chicago needed a bunch of different teachers. And because I had plenty of experience in my fourth grade class with four students, <laughs> I thought I could do, I could do that. I could teach. 
So in my first year of teaching, they put me in a sixth grade class with 35 crazy and yet beautiful kids. Well, not all beautiful, but like 20 of them. <laughs> kids from different backgrounds, nationalities, and social context. What I did not know is that the Lord will use that to develop in me not only to continue to grow in my desire to teach, but to enjoy different kinds of people. Now listen, because I love my students, I understand that I have to go back to school. So I go back to school to get a master's in what it was called back then, bicultural education, because I wanted to teach in a classroom in a multi-ethnic setting, and I needed the tools. What I did not know is that the Lord will use that to kind of equip me to be able to navigate and teach and learn from different ethnicities. So I graduated and I moved to the suburbs. Actually, I moved around this area. And I started to teach here for a while, but then I joined this church. And later on, I become a pastor. And now I go back to school again, because now I need my theological education. What I did not know is that the Lord will use that to develop in me the joy, for the, the joy of learning and applying theology. Like, who would, have, who would have ever thought that the Lord will place me in different places and in different times and will give me different talents and abilities and interests? So now, I serve in a place where learning and reading is extremely important. That having the ability to teach is extremely important. That being in a multi-ethnic setting is extremely important. And that theology is extremely, extremely important. How about if I tell you that your story is exactly the same as mine? You just don't know it. That the Lord has placed you in different times and in different contexts. Has given you different abilities. Not only for you to have them, but to use them. He gave you not only gifts and talents, but the ability to use them. Amen? That was the, man, that was the story of the two men in the story. So look at what the master says to them in verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Principle number four. What makes the difference is not what we do or how much we do. What makes the difference is when we are faithful with the few things we do. Did you catch that? What makes the difference is not the amount of things we do. Is how faithful we are with the few things the Lord has called us to do. Listen, I believe that Christians ought to be fruitful. But I'm also convinced that the only way we can be fruitful is when we learn to be faithful with the little things. I, I actually think that that's super hard to believe in our culture because everyone talks about being ambitious. And what I find interesting about that is that when you look at church history, the word ambition was never a positive word. 
Never a positive word. You see, modern times that people say things like, you're not, you're not ambition, ambitious enough. Listen, there's nothing wrong with us having maybe to have more sometimes. But there's something wrong when we are willing to sacrifice faithfulness in the little things because of our desire for the big things. I actually think that it's very dangerous when we, will, we become obsessed with the big things at the expense of being faithful with the little things. The secret to fruitfulness is faithfulness in the little things. Amen? And now we see the difference between the first two men and the third man. Look at what it says in verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Verse 25. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And the text says from verses 26 to 28 that the master heard this. And he notices that this man is using this as an excuse for not using his talents. And he calls them, and we're going to see this, this later on, uh, that he, he says that he's wicked and lazy. And this is basically what is happening in the text. Um, the master says to this man, and I'm paraphrasing here, if from your perspective, if from your perspective I am a hard man that I gather and harvest in places that don't belong to me, if from your perspective, I am such an awful man and you are so afraid of me, then why didn't you grab the talent I gave you, invest it so I could get more money? And then he added, take what he has and give it to the guy with the 10 talents. And now look at verse 29. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Principle number five. If you don't lose, if you don't use what the Lord has given you, you will lose it. If you don't use the talents and the abilities and the gifts and everything the Lord has given you for his purpose and his glory, you will lose it. Remember how I told you that our talents and abilities are not decorations? Are to be used. Your talents and abilities are not for your resume. Are to be used. And then the master says something that sounds super harsh at the beginning. In verse 30, he says to this man, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's a description of hell. And at least one person here 
listening to this sermon would say, well, that's harsh. Just because he didn't use the talent? I mean, he didn't lose it. Well, I think that in order for us to understand what's happening there, we have to pay attention to their hearts. The hearts of the two men and the heart of the last man, which then leads me to point number two. I want to make the argument that what makes the difference between the first two men and the last man is precisely the attitude of their hearts. Because if you remember the first two men, they did what they were supposed to do, and then they got to enjoy the master's happiness. But the last one went to hell. So I want to show you what the difference was. So, so let's look at verses 14 and 15 again, just really quick. Notice that it says that the master called his servants and entrusted his wealth to, to them, each according to his ability. And the reason why I'm showing you, showing you that again is because the word entrusted there literally has to be translated like this. It's when you give something that is yours to somebody else, not only you give it to that person, but you also give the authority for that person to use it, right? It's like if I'm borrowing, you're giving you something that is mine, and then I say, you have my authority to use this however you want. Keep that in mind. So notice that the, notice, notice that the master is doing this thing. He gives them the talent, he empowers them, and he gives them the ability. Now, this is what is interesting here. The two men then understood that they had no excuses. They had the talent, the, they had the, the talent, the authority, and the ability. Right? And therefore, them using their talents was a way to honor the giver. You following? Them putting to work their talents was a way to honor the giver and a way to bring pleasure to the giver. I'm assuming that many of you guys are familiar with, uh, with the movie uh, Chariots of Fire. Very, it's a classic movie. And if you remember, um, here you have, uh, the, based on a true story, the story of this um, man called Eric uh, Liddell, which he was a runner. And there's a beautiful sentence in the movie in which he says this. The Lord has made me fast. That's the talent. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. See, that's the description of the first two men. They wanted to honor the giver. They wanted to bring pleasure to the giver. But that was not the attitude of the last man. The last man not only did not, did not appreciate that he had received that talent, but ignored the authority that he had and ignored the ability he had. He wanted to play it safe. He did not honor the giver. So here's a question for you. With your talents, are you honoring the Lord are you interested in bringing pleasure to him? And if you do, use your talents. Amen? How many of you guys have talents? How many of you guys don't have any? 
There's something more here that we've got to pay attention to. And it's this. That when the first two men did their job right, we see this in verses 21 and 23, that is when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And those words are also important because the word good there in the, in the original means that they did what, they, what it was expected for them to do. But the word faithful there is extremely important because it's the word, uh, in the original is the word pistos, which is the same word that we use for believing. Now, why is that important? It's because what made the difference between the first two men and the last men is that the last men did not believe nor trust the master. And the first two men, the reason why they did what they did and the reason why they invested the talent is because they believed and trusted the giver, the master. See, not only they believe that they had talents, not only they believe that they had the authority to use their talents, not only they believe that they had the ability to use their talents, but they also believed and trusted the heart of the giver. That's why I, I would always say that, that obedience is always a sign of trust. And the reason why we are not obedient is because deep down inside, we don't trust him as much as we think we do. What does the last man do? He buries his talent. Did not trust his master. And what does the master say to him? Verse 26. You wicked, lazy servant. Now, I think that we all have talents. Because the Bible says we do. But I also think that trusting the Lord with those talents is really easy to say, very hard to do. You know, because we got questions and we got doubts and we got all of these things. So the question that I have to answer before finishing the sermon is, how do we do then to learn to trust him? How do we do then to learn to honor him with our gifts and abilities and everything that he's given us with our goods and our properties and our money? How do we learn to bring pleasure to him with everything that he has given us? And I think that the answer has to do when we pay attention, only pay attention to the giver. Point number three. And here, I want to share something that I learned from pastor, uh, an Anglican theologian called Andrew Wilson. He wrote a book called uh, Spirit and Sacrament, in which he talks a lot about gifts and abilities and talents and all of these things. And he says that the only way, and then I'm, I'm paraphrasing, he says that the only way for us to honor the Lord with our talents and bring pleasure to the Lord with our talents is when we do four things. We develop an attitude of thankfulness. We worship, we exercise a stewardship, and we pursue. So let me walk you through those really quick. Thankfulness. Thankfulness is required because that is the only way we remember that our gift is a gift. See, if you have to work for the gift, 
or earn the gift, that's not a gift. The gift by definition has to be free. And Andrew Wilson says that when we are thankful, not only we get to enjoy the gift more, because it's a gift and we say it, but we also experience contentment. And this is his argument. If the Lord gave you this gift, is because he wanted you to have that gift, not somebody else's gift. And therefore, your talent is the best thing for you. So why crave somebody else's gifts? That's super simple. This is what he says, and I quote, thanking God for his gifts forces us to ponder about the things we have and not the things we lack. Thankfulness. Number two, worship. He says that worshiping is really important when we, when we talk about talents and abilities and gifts because it is only when we worship that we remember that the gift we have is not about us, but it's about him, the giver. And I quote, he says, we do not merely acknowledge the goodness of the gift, but the goodness of the giver. We allow every gift to show us something about the giver, following the sunbeams back to the sun. And he will make the argument that it's only when we worship because of our gifts that is the antidote to turning our gifts into idols. I'm going to make it super personal here. I know that a lot of us have gifts. And sometimes we force people to honor us because we have that gift. And there and only there, I think that there's a tendency for us to turn our talents, abilities, and gifts into idols. So we don't find happiness unless everybody else honors you because of that gift. And what Andrew Wilson says is that we remember that the gift belonged to God and we worship him for it. We don't struggle with idolatry. Number three, stewardship. He says, and I said this already, that the way to honor the giver is to use the gift. Use it, church. You sit here in the church. You sit in your community. You sit with your family. You sit with your friends. Use it. Look at everything you have inside, the, the affinities and the things that the Lord has given you. Use it. And even if you don't know what that is, then look around your community and look at what the needs are and do something. And if you don't know what you have inside and you can't see any needs, just do something. Because at the end of the day, your gifts have a purpose. You might not know what they are, but they have a purpose. Just as much I did not know why is it that I was so lazy in going for a Spanish literature degree. And number four, pursuit. You know what that means? Be faithful in the little things. Now, I don't think I can stop there. 
Because I think that the best way for us to honor the giver by using our talents, the best way for us to bring pleasure to the giver by using our talents, and the only way we have the motivation and the power to be faithful and fruitful by using our talents is when we remember that the giver became the gift. You guys remember verse 30? The master says to this man, your worthless servant, going to darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what I was thinking when I was reading that? I am that wicked servant. I don't always honor the Lord with my talents. Even as a believer, sometimes I worship the gift more than the giver. Not always I'm thinking about bringing pleasure to him. Not always I am faithful with the little things the Lord has, he has given me. And I think that you struggle with the same thing. Therefore, when we read verse 30, we know that that's what we deserve. But why is Christianity so amazing? Because the giver not only becomes the gift, but he takes the form of the worthless by going to the cross, taking the punishment I deserve, experiencing the hell we all deserve. And therefore... If our giver becomes the gift, now I have the power and the motivation and the inspiration to be faithful with the little things because he was faithful in the big things like going to the cross. Amen? Let's pray. God Almighty, we can see that as we talk about Judgment Day and the things that ought to come and the last days and all of these things, Lord, you speak to us, Lord, and you show us that not so we adopt uh, an attitude of passivity, but for us to see and be encouraged and called to use our talents, abilities that you have given us for your purposes and your glory. Lord, we want to honor you with our gifts, talents, and abilities. We want to honor you, Lord, with our possessions, our money, our goods. Lord, we don't want to be like the wicked, lazy servant, Lord. We want to be like the first two. Trusting you, believing you, knowing, Lord, that you would use, that you would use us however you want to use us. So, Lord, I pray against, uh, against this, a spirit of fearfulness. I pray, Lord, against a spirit of laziness. I pray, Lord, that you make of us people of gratitude, people that worship, people that are good stewards, and people that pursue. Because why wouldn't we do that, Lord? 
when the giver became the gift by going to the cross. Lord, please keep us from worshiping the gifts instead of the giver. Because there's a reason why we are still here. To use what you have given us for your purpose and your glory. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the churches.